0: The Jerusalem Post Podcast Travel Edition is sponsored by WorldJewishTravel.org, the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips.
1: From the latest on Caribbean cruises to kosher safaris, pilgrimages to Jewish Eastern Europe and award-winning wines and international cuisine in sun-drenched Tel Aviv, sit back and enjoy the trip with the travel edition of the Jerusalem Post podcast.
0: I feel like dancing a jig. You lost a words because the thought of me dancing is making you cry almost.
1: Basically, I do not dance in front of any other human being unless I am very, very, very inebriated. And perhaps this podcast is happening at the best time for inebriation. We seem to talk a lot about inebriation. <laughs> It's coming up to Ramadan. Once we start doing podcasts
0: in April, we can have a month of being dry.
1: That's very true. But look, I have a problem. when we I've got many problems. (laughs) A drink problem? For so many people, travel writers and and members of the public who go out there, food is such an important part. But because I'm vegetarian, I don't overly get that sort of opportunity to taste many of the the dishes that, that are being cooked up around the world. So instead, I get drunk. Today's
0: podcast, what would you be drinking? Were you getting drunk?
1: Um, Guinness Irish whiskey. That's a good clue as to where we're going. Absolutely. Now, there's something very special is happening this year. I don't know when the last time was that it did happen, but the Jewish holiday, the party, the festival, the dress-up, the one chance in the year that Jews are actually encouraged to get drunk, and we all know that Jews aren't really drinkers, happens to be the holiday of Purim. Can I just point out that Purim
0: happens every year? Or do you want to hit me now?
1: And it coincides with St. Patrick's Day, which is the celebration of all things Irish. We are going to be heading to Ireland and Northern Ireland with very good friends of ours in the next few minutes. But first, as we always do, it's time for a quiz question or two to put you in the mood. Question number one. Which romantic saint, and it's not St. Patrick, is buried in Dublin? And question number two, which poet received the 1995 Nobel Prize in Literature? The answer's at the end of the pod. Mark, I know you've been to Ireland. Have you only been to Dublin?
0: No, not just Dublin. I've also been to Limerick.
1: Did you enjoy yourself?
0: There once was a
1: man called Mark. <laughs> uh, so, so I've, I've travelled quite widely in Ireland and, and in the north and absolutely loved it. And I found that everything that they said about the people was 100% true.
0: You do go on about
1: it a lot. What, about going to Ireland?
0: Yeah, But I'd like to hear from someone who really knows about Ireland.
1: We spoke with a friend of ours, an award-winning travel writer and broadcaster, a travel expert for Ireland's RTE1 radio, and the presenter of a Golf Weekly podcast.
0: And his name is Fionn Davenport, and he told us how he got into travel writing.
2: I did start straight out of college mostly because when I finished university where I studied history and halfway through my studies I realized that a career in academia was not one that I wanted as much as I did when I was a teenager. I took some time to go traveling and I moved to New York where in the absence of literally any other idea of what to do with my life, I joined Fodor's Travel Publications as a junior editor and stayed there for want of anything else. And uh, so I've been writing, yeah, pretty much since I left university. Dublin is the
0: obvious first point of call when it comes to Ireland. Can you tell us three of your favourite places? And is there a hidden gem amongst them?
2: Yeah, Dublin is where 90 plus percent of all arrivals into Ireland land in. I mean, it's not the only international airport, but it's by far and away the biggest international airport. It's also the biggest city by a considerable margin. Over a quarter of the population of Ireland lives in Dublin it is the starting point for most visits it's a funny thing writing about dublin because the obvious attractions are trinity college and the book of kells the guinness storehouse the, the famous home of, of guinness beer and the collection of national museums where all of ireland's artistic treasures are kept but my favorite places aren't those like in terms of as much as the book of kells is absolutely wonderful the Chester Beatty Library, which is a collection of objet d'art and in the old phrase of what was termed Orientalism. So Alfred Chester Beatty, who was an American magnate, who in the 19th century started collecting objet d'art books, ancient scrolls from China and Japan. It has the world's largest collection of ancient Korans outside of the Arab world. It has the second oldest biblical fragment. And it's this wonderful collection that was gathered and gifted to the Irish state in the 1950s. And it's kept together in what is called a library, but is really a museum on the grounds of Dublin Castle, which is in the centre of the city and was the seat of British power in Ireland for 800 odd years. It's one of my favourite museums in all of Europe. The bookish type in me is uh, Ireland and indeed um, England's oldest extant library. So uh, it's called Marsh's Library, which is at the back of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Dublin has three cathedrals, believe it or not. A city of 1.3 million people has three cathedrals, two of which are Protestant cathedrals and the Catholic pro-cathedral is by far and away the least impressive of the three. But Marsh's Library is in a little laneway that they're just at the back of St. Patrick's. they're my absolute favorite places to take visitors to Dublin, which makes me sound like a very bookish type. I'm not really. Other than that, Dublin is really a city to walk in. It's a relatively small city, so you can walk from one end of the centre to, ne- to the other in, in under half an hour or 40 minutes. You know, it's collection of Georgian architecture. It's Georgian squares lined with Georgian buildings. It's really a city to absorb atmosphere in. So those two museums, plus a nice walk around George and Dublin, there'd be the three things that I would recommend anybody coming to Dublin to do. Given
1: that we are the Jerusalem Post Travel Edition podcast, the next question, I guess, makes sense. The neighbourhood of Portobello in Dublin is known as Little Jerusalem. Is there a tour of the area?
2: Yes. The neighbourhood of Portobello in Dublin is known as Little Jerusalem because it is where the Jewish population of Dublin lived, uh, really from the middle of the 19th century up until, well, there are very few members of the Jewish population left, really. Most of them have moved down to the south side suburbs. There is a tour. It's Jewish Dublin walking tours. The pandemic has affected everything, so tourism in Dublin is only starting to open up fully now. Here we are in, in the early months of 2022. So I'm unclear as to whether these walking tours or these operators of these walking tours are operational at the moment. But on before the pandemic, there was, there was a specific tour of Little Jerusalem which it's worth adding is Portobello is a really lovely neighborhood of the Southside city center. It's also where George Bernard Shaw, the writer, is born. So you can visit his house. The Irish Jewish Museum, which is at the heart of Little Jerusalem, has been closed for a number of years, really due to lack of funding and uh, more than anything. But again, I'm obviously old enough to remember when it was open, but it was gorgeous. It's a lovely terraced house that served um, as a synagogue to the Jewish community here for the guts of a hundred years and then was converted into a museum. But unfortunately, as I said, it's closed at the moment, pending funding issues or pending the resolution of funding issues.
1: Of course, there's much more to
2: Ireland than Dublin. Where should our listeners head? Once you're done with Dublin, you can really get a sense of Dublin in maybe three, four, five years, and then you want to move <laughs> on. <laughs> The obvious tourist route is to head out west, is to kind of people skip the Midlands and head out for the dramatic coastlines of the West Coast. And so the, the obvious place to start is go straight line to Galway, which is a two hour drive from Dublin. Visit Connemara. Connemara, if Buzz Aldrin hadn't described the landscape of the moon as magnificent desolation, you describe Connemara thus. Um, really, really beautiful. <laughs> and then you can go south, which is what most visitors do. So they go through the Burren of County Clare, and then into Kerry. And and the southwest of Ireland is kind of the tourist heartland, certainly when, when we think of traditional tourism, the wild corner of northwestern Europe. I mean, it is staggeringly beautiful. Um, it's also where everybody goes in the summertime. Towns like Killarney would be a hotbed of tourism. And from there, you can do the Ring of Kerry. But for me, I mean, you can get equally dramatic landscapes if you travel north from Galway. So if you go into County Mayo and then onwards into Sligo and into the northwest corner of Ireland, which is County Donegal. I'm not for a second saying you shouldn't visit Clare or County Kerry or indeed County Cork, which is down in the south. But if you want an experience of that kind of wild west or the wild Atlantic way, as, they're, as they've called it for the last decade or so, and you want it without huge numbers of tourists you are going to find that there's a more likely chance of finding it north of Galway so if you travel west and go up along that coastline. County Mayo, County Mayo is one of the great undiscovered or unexplored counties, absolutely gorgeous and yet it gets relatively few tourists. Sligo is very very small and Donegal because of its relative remoteness gets fewer tourists again and is, to my mind, maybe the most beautiful county of all. There's an
0: image painted of rural Ireland as small villages. You walk into a pub, there's music playing. Everybody welcomes you, and you sit down with a pint of Guinness. Does that really happen, or is it a stereotype?
2: It's a complicated one, because it does exist. Cute little villages with thatch cottages. Like, you travel to Adair in County Limerick, and and that's what it is, is colourfully painted fronts, with thatch cottages and beautiful pubs all along County Clare, all along the towns of County Clare from Ennis to Ennis um, You have like a huge traditional music scene. So the pubs make a big thing about it. And it's not just for tourists. It's also very much for domestic consumption. So that rural welcome where people are friendly. I mean, Irish people are friendly. Now, friendliness is a weird thing. It's not despite what some hyperbole might suggest that when you meet an Irishman along the road, that the next thing is that they're going to invite you to their house and you can stay with them for a week. It's, It's not like that. What it is is a conviviality. It's a familiarity or an easy informal familiarity. So you can strike up a conversation with strangers and people feel very much at ease doing that. Ireland is not a place where people are remote or distant or standoffish. Irish people for the most part. Now, Big cities are big cities and they have all big city issues. But once you're outside of big cities where people maybe are operating at a slightly slower pace, people are generally quite friendly. So that friendliness that is the stereotype of the Irish welcome is still very much there. Having said all of that, Ireland is very much a contemporary country as well. I mean, it's it's motorways and macchiatos and, and lattes and internet and, and, and the same concerns that would exist in, say... I don't know, modern France or modern Spain are also to be found in rural Ireland. So, again, it's, it's yes, absolutely. You're going to find that kind of stereotypical rural pastoral scene. But, you know, when you check into that nice Dutch cottage hotel, your first question usually will be, what's the Wi-Fi code? You mentioned macchiato and latte.
0: Tell us about the oh. modern food scene of Ireland. Is it very much a domestic
2: scene or is it more global? When I first started writing about Ireland, there was this old and a very annoying joke about Irish food that it was great until it was cooked. uh, So the idea was, is that we overboiled our vegetables, we overcooked our meats, and no dish was served with at least three kinds of potato on it. (laughs) And in a sense, you know, the, the, the stereotype fit because it was in large part deserved. The last 30 years, though, has seen a food revolution in Ireland. So on the one hand, every single international cuisine or most international cuisines can now be found, certainly in the big urban centers. But most interestingly, and certainly for a visitor, is that whilst, yes, you can get Mongolian barbecue and sushi and whatever you're having in Dublin or Limerick or Galway, what really is worth seeking out is, for want of a better term, is Irish traditional cuisine, which is really just international food with French flavor, but using Irish produce. So it's about the rediscovery of Irish produce. Everything from Colcannon or seaweed to better uses of of vegetable. Yes, it's an international cuisine, but it's very flavored by Irishness. So, So for example, Cork, which would see itself as kind of the foodie capital or the gourmet capital of Ireland, there's been a revolution in cheese production. Whereas previously, when I was a kid, the only cheese you could eat here was cheddar. And that was it. And nowadays, there's, you know, a hundred different kinds of cheeses and, and local producers that are very proud and have a story about that cheese. Same with, again, a rediscovery of meat and the way Irish meat products, because, you know, we like to think of ourselves as like the producers of the greatest dairy or the greatest dairy and meat producers in the world. We might not be, but we like to think we are. And so all of this kind of, newfound love for traditional Irish cooking which is then filtered through international cuisine techniques so it's got a lot of French it's got Italian it's got German it's got English but ultimately it is Irish cuisine or international cuisine with an Irish twist
1: sport plays a big part in Ireland's culture As a tourist, is it easy to get in a round of golf, ride a bike or get some tickets to professional sports like Gaelic football and
2: rugby and hurling? Yeah, sport does play a huge part in Ireland's culture. We are both huge consumers of sport as spectators, but we also participate a lot in sport. And the nice thing is, is that let's take golf, for instance. Every town in Ireland has a golf club. Every town in Ireland has a local golf club where it is relatively cheap to play. It's a very accessible sport, much like it is in Scotland uh, or certain parts of England. And so you can roll up, you know, you pay your money and you can get a round of golf for 25 euro. Now, you can also pay 500 euro for a round of golf. So there are marquee golf courses dotted around the island. Some of the most famous golf courses in the world are found in Ireland. So for every Ballybunion, You can also get like, like Tralee golf course, which to many is just as beautiful, but it's a fraction of the cost to play. Same with like, you know, cycling, we're a big cycling country. This is a relatively flat country. Think of it as a, as a bowl so that the the mountains are kind of at the edge and then the middle part is all relatively flat. So there's plenty of cycling. And then in terms of spectator sports, like Gaelic football, like barring the big kind of semi-finals and finals the latter stages of the championship which is the the big summer thing in gaelic football and and hurling it's very easy to get a ticket very very easy Uh, most of the stadiums don't sell out as i said until the latter stages so you can just have a look at what the schedule is roll up buy a ticket at the gate for rugby it's probably a little more difficult so the provinces can be quite successful the irish national team it's very hard to get a ticket for that but you know generally speaking if you want to go watch irish sport it's not that difficult
1: where can listeners find out more
2: so the best thing to do is so falch ireland which is the irish national tourist sport go to uh, their consumer site which is discoverireland.ie.
0: Fionn davenport thank you very much for appearing on the podcast
1: ireland fact file You can fly direct to Dublin Airport with Aer Lingus from Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Orlando, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, Washington DC, Toronto, London and most major European cities. You can also fly direct with Air Canada from Toronto and Montreal, American from Philadelphia, Charlotte, Chicago and Dallas, Delta from Atlanta, Boston and New York, United from Newark and Turkish from Istanbul. It's 20 minutes by bus from the airport to downtown Dublin, while a taxi takes around 15 minutes and that will cost you up to $35. Recommended hotels in Dublin include The Marker, Merion, Conrad and the Shelbourne. 100 US dollars will buy you 87 euros as of March 22. Ireland has mild, moist and changeable weather with abundant rainfall. Daytime average highs reach 19 Celsius or 66 Fahrenheit in summer and glows around 3 Celsius 37 Fahrenheit in winter. Kosher food can be bought from Anne Sioppa, and please forgive my Irish pronunciation that's in Terenier Hall in Dublin. The Bretzel bakery in Portobello make kosher bread products.
0: This is the Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at markdavidpod or mail us at markdavidpod at gmail.com. You're listening to the Jerusalem Post Podcast Travel Edition. And now the latest news. El Al continued operating flights into Russia until March the 9th, despite wartime sanctions. The flights were designed to bring Israelis home as well as cope with Aliyah requests from Jewish Russians.
1: A second new hotel is being built in the Sarona area of Tel Aviv. The 14-storey 160-room hotel built by Grofit will follow the gigantic 45-storey 800-room Serona hotel being developed by Nitzba.
0: On our last episode we reported on a storm brewing that led to reduced numbers of flights between Israel and Dubai. Fear not, the Shimbet, Israel's internal security agency, and their UAE counterparts have reached an agreement. So all flight timetables are back to normal.
1: In 2006, Wesley Snipes appeared in the film Snakes on a Plane. Luckily it was a work of fiction. Fast forward to 2022, when passengers on an Air Asia flight from Kuala Lumpur spotted a snake slithering through the lighting system, causing the pilot to divert 900 kilometres or 560 miles to Kuching Island. And now special news for St. Patrick's Day, Chabad emissaries to Dublin
0: have announced they are planning Ireland's first ever Chabad house, including a kosher restaurant. After a successful fundraising campaign, a site has been purchased and work will begin on its refurbishment. So we've heard about the Republic of Ireland, Dublin, and other parts south, should we do the north David?
1: absolutely great idea now you and I uh, not too long ago were on a cruise in the Mediterranean with some other journalists and one of them Sarah Pickering she's the editor of Northern Ireland Travel News we had a great time with her we've struck up a great friendship and so we thought we'd bring her on to the podcast to talk about Northern Ireland and first of all the capital Belfast
3: Belfast obviously is the capital city, it's a main hub for, it's automatically where tourists assume they have to visit and that goes for the island as a whole, it covers both the Republic and Northern Ireland, people want to visit Belfast, they want to see Belfast and it has really evolved that way with tourism in recent years, you know, 10 years ago nobody would have dreamed of coming to Belfast for different reasons, but now we've seen a real boom in it and we've seen people actually coming to Northern Ireland, especially tourism agents themselves, the Titanic is a big one. Um, so the Titanic Belfast itself is actually built to replicate the size of the Titanic ship. And it's just it's an interactive museum and you can go around and learn all about the ship. Um, it's also based within where the Titanic was built. So it is along the Harlan and Wolf port in Belfast port. Harlan and Wolf cranes are there. You know, it's a real immersive experience in that sense, just to actually get there and see it. We've also got Titanic Distillers are opening next door. We work quite closely with Titanic Distillers here then I Travel News. So it's a totally different thing altogether. They are creating whiskey on site and it is within the old pump house, if I'm correct. If you ever visit it, you'll get to go in and you'll get to see where all the original parts of the pump house are still there. So it's really, it's brilliant. It's a good mix of modern and old, you know. It, it'll be brilliant when it gets up and running. So that's coming out <coughs> hopefully it's about summertime, I think it's opening. Obviously, we spoke there a bit about how people didn't really want to visit Belfast in years before. We've taken that into our stride now, and I've realised that that is a big part of our tourism. So you can do peaceful um, tours, which I highly recommend. Um, you learn an awful lot from it. It's a mixture of both sides. You get to see different graffiti. Um, it, it's a lot of history, you know, and it's a brilliant way to fast track your history throughout Northern Ireland if you're really unsure of what's happened. So I highly recommend it. Walking tours in general are a big thing. Belfast is a very walkable city. Over a weekend you can take in a lot just by walking and seeing the sights. There's the Cathedral Quarter where St. Anne's Cathedral stands in the middle, but it is now a built-up area with a lot of pubs, bars. It's very social. So if you are looking at that nightlife, definitely a big one to look at. Beer bikes as well, it's a bit random but you can do beer bags around the city. So you drink and you drive, essentially, but legally. And it's something really different as well. And it's another great way of seeing the city.
0: Around 70 years ago, Belfast had a Jewish community of around 1,500 people. Is there anything left of the community for visitors to see now?
3: I actually had to look this one up, if I'm honest, because it's not something that is very known about Northern Ireland, but it's something that we actually pass daily. Um, for someone who, and I, I visit Belfast an awful lot, and I didn't actually know this was here, but there is a bright yellow fountain if you ever visit Victoria Square, which is a big shopping center, and um, it's right in the middle of Belfast. Um, the fountain itself is in dedication, like, in memory to David Joseph, uh, Jassif or Jaff, and um, he was a German merchant, and he came to Northern Ireland in the eighteen fifties. He established a linen export service, and his son became the first jewish lord mayor of belfast and he was actually lord mayor twice so it's something interesting it's a bit of history and it's it's right there
0: so i don't know if this is in belfast or not but last year we were talking about uh, game of thrones when we were doing a podcast about dubrovnik but i believe northern ireland played a big part in game of thrones as well are there tours specifically dedicated to game of thrones
3: last week opened the studio tour for the game of thrones so game of thrones was actually produced mainly in belfast but they have now moved the tours and the actual studio production has been moved to a site it's called linen mill studio and you can now do a walking tour throughout all the sets that they were actually filmed in and then there's obviously there's your different sites like your natural sites there's castle rock there's valley castle ballantoy it's all up in the direction of the giants causeway there's the dark hedges which are the big gaping trees and that close over the road and they have become very very popular tourist wise but they've now opened that studio and it's definitely going to be one to watch now it's going to be a massive attraction
1: so far we've talked about belfast but of course that is so much more you're from londonderry what is there to see and do there for example
3: so i'm actually from a small village in the county of londonderry so county of londonderry is one of the six counties in northern ireland so all six counties differ from culture to the way people talk to what you can see. Um, So within London itself or Derry is, you know, the main city within the county. Um, So within Derry, it has a quite a controversial history. But again, they've kind of done the same as Belfast where it is. They now play on it and they use it as a tourism boost. So you can visit Derry's walls, which have been there from the 17th century. You can walk the wall. So that'll get you to see the city really well. There is the Peace Bridge, which was built in 2011, if I'm correct. There is also the Dairy Girds mural. So if you've ever watched the series on Channel 4, Dairy Girds, that is where it is based. I highly recommend it. It is brilliant. It's a really fun take on everything. So they've done a fantastic mural up in Derry itself that visitors can go and see and get their photos with. In relation to where I'm from, which is slightly out of the main city, there is the Seamus Heaney home place. Seamus Heaney is a poet and you can visit his home place, which is in Balaki, which is not far from where I live. And then there's also Lochney. Obviously, Lochney can be reached from all of the counties, but it's the largest freshwater lake in Northern Ireland and the British Isles. So it really is worth, if you're into water sports or wildlife even, it's definitely one to see.
1: Talk to us about the Giant's Causeway. What is it and how do you get there?
3: So the Giant's Causeway is located in County Antrim, which is on the north coast. Like I mentioned there, the Dark Hedges, Ballantoy, Harbour, things like that are very, very close to the Giant's Causeway. So if you are willing to see anything to do with Game of Thrones, any of them tours from Belfast will take you there, no problem. And the Giant's Causeway is volcanic rock, essentially. Um, They are hexagons I believe hexagons or pentagons I believe they're hexagons but there's a fantastic tale that a giant built it it's a brilliant story it's a musty I'm not going to spoil it for anybody but it links us with Scotland if you are to do a tour around it you will learn all about it there is many sights to see and um, there is a giant turtle a giant foot you can do a massive walkway along the hills, along the back of it. It is really a must-see, and it's also in an area of outstanding natural beauty in Northern Ireland. And personally, I think it's one of the best sites in Northern Ireland. So, yeah, it's very worth seeing. There is buses that go daily from Belfast and Dublin as well, so it really is high on the list for tourism.
0: This is our St Patrick's Day special. Is it a big thing at all in Northern Ireland, St Patrick's Day? Does anybody get excited for it?
3: Do We do a lot of work. I was actually on... a. Call there with Tourism Ireland. It was actually the other day. Um, and as an island as a whole, they work together. So Tourism and and Tourism Ireland tend to come together um, and prepare for the festival. Obviously, they haven't done anything in the past two years. So I know Belfast itself is taking on a full week of celebration. There's a big parade in Belfast. There's also obviously there's a divide in Northern Ireland. Not a divide, but a mix of culture within the Protestant culture. There's actually A parade as well in Armagh. St. Patrick's Cathedral is in Armagh and that's where they have a massive parade there as well. They are doing celebrations. It's like a celebration of food, celebration of culture, just surrounding, just everything Irish in general.
0: Is the food in Northern Ireland different to the South?
3: You're going to think this is hilarious, but one of the main things you will pick up is the difference in our which is a type of crisp. So there is Tato Northern Ireland and there is Tato Ireland, and they are two completely different things. Personally, I believe Tato Northern Ireland tastes better, um, but you'll just have to try that out for yourself when you come along to the island. There is two completely different ones. Do not get that mixed up.
0: (laughs) And, of course, there's an Ulster Fry, I believe.
3: Yes, yes, the Ulster Fry. It can be quite controversial, actually, what people include in their Ulster Fry, but um, traditionally it is your breakfast of sausages, eggs, hash browns, what else? Your black pudding, white pudding, which is pig's blood, (laughs) beans, and what else? And you tend to have toast with it as well, and a cup of tea. So it's for those with a big stomach, definitely, but a must try. If
1: people want to know more about visiting your part of the island, how can they get that information?
3: I would say come and visit us at Northern Ireland Travel News. We have a good bit. We do a good mix of outbound and inbound tourism. Um, so we tend to cover a lot of that. So you can get to us at www.nitravelnews.com. The Tourism NI website will also host a lot of information, tours, etc. Um, tourism Ireland as well. As I say, they have teamed up and are covering the whole island. There is a green button campaign going on at the moment, which is St. Patrick's themed. And it will be, I know that they are are doing their billboard screens across the world will have a qr code up across the week running up to st patrick's and you can watch celebrations happening in both dublin and belfast um, so they're really promoting that at the moment so tourism ireland tourism I are definitely your main ones to look out for there
0: sarah pickering happy st patrick's day and we will see you cruising very soon
3: thank you very much i look forward to it <laughs>
0: Northern Ireland Fact File Belfast International Airport can be reached directly from London, Paris, Amsterdam and seasonally from Barcelona, Geneva and Orlando. Dublin is two hours from Belfast and flights are readily available from across Europe, America and Israel, connecting flights from Turkey to Israel. You can get a Stena 9 ferry direct from Liverpool to Belfast. The Airport Express 600 service busses passengers every 30 minutes during peak times from the front of the terminal building to Europa Bus Station in the center of Belfast. The journey takes around 10 minutes. A taxi will set you back around $54. Sarah recommends the following hotels, the Grand Central Belfast and Europa Hotel Belfast and the Galgorm in Ballymena. $100 US will buy you £76 as of March 2022. Northern Ireland has a temperate and maritime climate. Daytime average highs reach 19 degrees Celsius, 66 Fahrenheit in summer and lows of around 3 degrees Celsius, 37 Fahrenheit in winter. Sarah recommends the following restaurants, the House of Zen, Shoe, Dean's and Top Blade. Kosher food in Northern Ireland tends to be imported from Manchester or Dublin.
1: Big, big thank you to Fian and Sarah for joining us to talk about Ireland. It's a wonderful, wonderful part of the world. I haven't been for a long time and would love to go back. So thank you both for, for talking up just such a beautiful, beautiful place.
0: If you enjoyed the podcast, which I'm sure you did, then please give us a good rating on your podcast provider, at least five stars. If you can find a way of breaking it and giving us six, We will happily take those stars. Please subscribe, and then every two weeks you'll get our latest episode. And if you really, really enjoyed it, download all of our other episodes. They are really worth a listen.
1: Let's uh, bring you the answers to the quiz questions that we posed at the start of the podcast.
0: Question number one. Which romantic saint is buried in Dublin?
1: David? No clue.
0: Because there's not an ounce of romance in you, David. (laughs) It's St. Valentine.
1: Uh I had no idea. I'd have thought St. Valentine would be buried in Italy. He was born in Italy. Ah, oh, okay.
0: Clearly the Guinness didn't agree with him.
1: Fair point. And question number two. Which poet received the 1995 Nobel Prize in Literature? The answer, Seamus Heaney. Or Seamus Heaney, as they say <laughs> when they've had too much Guinness. It, it's been a, a lovely, lovely time. And for those of you celebrating St. Patrick's Day or Purim...
0: Hug some air. I'll let you do the Gaelic one.
1: I, I'm afraid that my, my Irish uh, doesn't particularly exist. But enjoy it. If you're drinking, drink safely and carefully.
0: And if you're not enjoying it, still drink <laughs> safely and carefully.
1: <laughs> not like us. And uh, that's it on this edition of the podcast. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. The Jerusalem Post podcast travel edition is sponsored by worldjewishtravel.org the number one platform for planning your Jewish cultural trips.